Welcome to the Oz Experience. Are you ready to ease on down the road? I'm so ready. I've been waiting on this. I've been waiting to ease on down the road. Wow. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for being one of my special guests. Well, I personally know you, but the people don't know who you are. So first, let me just do my own personal introduction of you. And then I want you to tell the people who you are, what it is that you do, and how it is that you, through your professions, are able to contribute to our conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So you guys, I introduce to you the Reverend or Reverend Dr. Alfie Wines. She comes to us with several pieces of her background and her pedigree. Um, she has been an HR director, so I think that gives her credibility and stripes as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, she also is a minister in the United Methodist Church, so she sees a lot there. You've got a lot as it relates to your congregation, the different pedigrees, the different backgrounds that come from that that she'll be contributing to from the uh, religious perspective um, as it relates to within our church organizations and how diversity, equity, and inclusion is played out in that. So without further ado, that's just a skim of what I have to offer to you about her, but I want her to tell you more about herself and what it is that she does because nobody can brag and talk about themselves better than we can ourselves, about ourselves. So I'm going to let her tell you about who she is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, that is awesome. That is awesome to have an opportunity to uh, introduce people uh, to myself. So absolutely, as Tajiri has already said, I have a, a career in human resources. I, the last position I was a director of human resources and I had a staff and in terms of diversity, uh, we just live diversity. In fact, we got together the other day, uh, three of us who had worked together two on my staff and uh, we talked about how we just did diversity. Uh, I was so proud of the staff that I put together for that. We were quite diverse. We had a lady from India, we had a lady from Hawaii, 
Uh, and then there were, uh, you know, myself, a black woman. There was another black woman at one point. And uh, we also had, uh, of course, a white man and a Hispanic man. So, you know, we, <laughs> we were doing diversity uh, before diversity uh, was a thing. It is something that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, first of all, as a human being, because I think we are all awesome simply because we show up on the planet. And that is what makes us awesome. From a spiritual perspective, of course, I am a Christian and I believe that we are all created in the image of God. And so that lets us know that we are all awesome. So the, the, the big problem that humanity has is domination of various forms, one form or another. Whether we're talking about racism or sexism or uh, ageism or classism or the LGBTQIA community, uh, we have uh, humanity. When I say we, I mean humanity. Uh, we live in a world that is bound up in domination of one sort or another. And that creates all kinds of issues, problems, and challenges that show up in our personal lives, show up in our uh, work lives, show up in our, our businesses. And so to me, something that should be second nature is something that we really have to deal with. And it creates all kinds of social injustices that have to be dealt with. And unfortunately, humanity has been dealing with this in one shape, form, or fashion for forever. Let's just put it that way, for forever. It is an ongoing battle. So that is my, um, uh, let me put it this way. I am committed. And it is very important to me to uh, operate in that way that includes diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, just briefly, let me say some of the other things that I do. I am uh, an author and an editor. I have edited three, two books and edited three. Did I say that right? I have edited two and written three. That's what I'm trying to say. And so uh, I am really pleased with that. Uh, I have more books that are coming that my spirit is birthing and uh, I'm determined to get them written as well. Uh, and the business on the, on the service side for businesses, uh, in addition to diversity, equity and inclusion, I also am a grant writer. And so that is also a service that I offer. On the personal side, uh, I work with uh, coaches and, and uh, consultants. And uh, what I do with them is help them get their books out of their heads and ready for publication. Uh, part of that, because we live in a digital age, includes helping people get uh, started with digital marketing. Uh, and then also I do the editing for the book. And then also along the way, I find that I end up doing some life coaching. What's interesting about that is that 
all three of those are separate pieces of what I offer. Uh, I have a couple of time management programs that are related to, you know, business and all the, how do we get it all done? I suggest that there is a time for everything. In addition to that, uh, after all of these years of speaking uh, publicly, <laughs> in one way or another, I also am uh, a speaking coach. And so I have any number of hats that I wear. And what I am doing is putting the sinews of my life together, the pieces of my life together. In fact, the name of the company, as you can see, is the Sinew Consulting Group. And what we do is we help people connect the pieces of their lives. And we do that in a number of different ways. So I am excited to be with you. Oh my gosh, that's a whole lot to unpack and to unravel as far as what it is that you, but it, it, it proves to the point that as uh, people, we have many different layers to us and what we're gifted to do and what we're able um, to do. And I'll even push the envelope a little further as far as what we're willing to do. Because sometimes we may be able to do it, but we're not willing to yeah. do it. So let's let's get back because you've got th th the three pieces for diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, that hit hit home to me were uh, the the corporate side as far as being um, a human a human resource director, and then on the pastor side. So I want to dive into those two primarily, um, and I'd like for you to share some of your experiences, some of the things that you have seen where DE&I has uh, been a positive and where it's been a negative in oh, wow. each of those those careers or those, those genres. Um, so where in the corporate side have you seen the pluses and the minuses, I'll just, or pros and cons, whichever word you want to use there, um, in the professional realm, because it's, it's my understanding and how I see HR directors, um, they're kind of like the orchestrators, um, um, of the conductors of an orchestra for, um, an organization and they have to put the pieces of the orchestra together. So you've got your brass section, which is, you know, whoever deals with benefits, you've got um, another person that's probably dealing with the actual paycheck, but I guess paycheck would, would fall under benefits. I mean, you know that better than I do. That's not my lane. I'm not trying to drive in that lane. So with the different pieces of what you had for the people that worked, I hate to use the word work under you, but they were a part of your team that were a part of your staff and what they contributed to the human resources department. I'm sure you were able to see um, disparities in pay, disparities mm -hmm. in um, how people were treated, um, disparities in probably work conditions um, for those that, uh, I don't want to say disability, disabilities. I can't think of what the, the, the term is now. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, but how you had to accommodate those that may not have been able to um, do a job in a traditional way. 
And then from there, let's cross over to um, the religious sector and the politics. I mean, politics is on both sides, both corporate and and um, and and in religion. Even though we have a separation of state and <laughs> uh, a separation of a uh, state and 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 politics. Gosh, why am I drawing a blank here? But anywho, we have that separation in our constitution, but. It really is not separated as much as we try to think that it is separated and much we want to believe that it is separated. So if you can tackle into that as far as what you've seen both personally and professionally, <laughs> excuse me, on each of those realms, dive in. I'm going to let you take it away. This is a candid conversation as if we're just sitting talking um, because I believe that's the most transparent way to be able to get people to understand and not being a scripted conversation. Oh, my goodness. All right. That's a lot for me to cover the positives and negatives and both uh, the corporate world as well as the church world. So let's start with the, the corporate world. Um, you know, there is since the tragic public death of George Floyd, there has been um, an additional, let me put it that way, an additional emphasis in or a renewed emphasis, maybe we can call it that, in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you know, the workplace is such an important part of our lives. We actually spend more time at work than we do at home. And so in the workplace, diversity, equity, and inclusion is extremely important because guess what? We've all got to work. Let's just, we've all got bills to pay. Mm -hmm. And there is, you know, ethically, there is absolutely no reason why we should have these kinds of issues on the job. In an ideal world, <laughs> excuse me, in an ideal world, this would not even be an issue. But we don't live in ideology. We live... <laughs> And <laughs> in, in, in a reality, if 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 you can, if if I can use that, um, use that word, because is I mean I agree. We would love for things as far as how we envision them to be a certain way. Yes, you see my pen here because I am taking notes because I know you're gonna drop some major nuggets uh, as to what it is that I want to tie up with at the end that I'm gonna have to take away with me. These will be some of my takeaways. But we we don't live in. No what I call a kumbaya, everybody love everybody type of society, um, you know, in, in any aspect of our lives. It's not that everybody get along. Or, <laughs> as Rodney King said, can we all just get along? Uh, <laughs> I don't see that happening and being evident in our workplaces. So you you hit on something as far as the ideal way that we would think things would be when we go to work, but the reality of it is such a contradiction and mm -hmm. what it is that it should be. 
And so what ends up happening is that, you know, I use the word domination and uh, that's a very powerful word. And yet it is, I believe, a good word, um, an unpleasant word, word, a word we would rather not uh, use, but it is a reality. And it is actually a part of, in effect, every relationship. Mm -hmm. And people have to figure that out and figure out uh, really in two ways, on two levels, individually, how to be in relationship with each other, and then on a broader uh, corporate systemic uh, way of being together. And so the reality is, and I just want to talk about our own country, America. Uh, the reality is that we have a history. Uh, we have a horrific history uh, wherein the way the nation was established from the very beginning favored white men with property. Mm -hmm. And anyone who did not fit in that category, whether it's white men who had little or no property or women or black folks who were enslaved or uh, people from other countries, uh, you know, any, any, any of those demographics that you can think of uh, were excluded in one way or another. And so for one, I believe it begins with being honest about our history, mm. being truthful about our history and recognizing that that dynamic was here from the very beginning and it continues through today. And so- Go, go ahead. It shows up then as racism, sexism, classism, and all the rest. So when we're in the workplace and say people are making a decision about hiring, well, first of all, I mean, is it getting better? Yes, of course. Is it where it should be? Absolutely not. But when people start thinking about someone to hire, so you have to be intentional. This. Mm -hmm. This is so embedded, the racism, the sexism, all of that is so embedded in American culture, in businesses, which are part of American culture, that we have to really be intentional so that if we are hiring, we need to intentionally think about how can I get a diverse plate of candidates to choose from. That has to be an intentional effort. And a lot of times people who are in HR have to remind the managers, have to remind the hiring managers, you know, we can't just go to ABC, we gotta go to DEF. We have to have a broader a pool for selecting people from. When so that, that, mm, 
that brings up to me, just in the way that you're describing it, and of course, mind you, being an African-American woman, I understand this this phrase, this this term that I'm getting ready to say in a whole different light, but that brings up affirmative action um, to me as far as needing to have, as we have often heard, um, and I can only speak from a Black woman's perspective. I can't speak from anybody else's because all I've known my entire life is being a Black woman and how it has affected me. So I can only speak on that um, in, in, in this manner. Not that I don't know other cultures or that I don't know other pedigrees and backgrounds, but as far as what I know, what I know, what I know that I know for sure because of experience is through the lens of an African-American woman. So with that, being said, it, it sounds almost like, and I don't know if using your word intentional, um, is, is, is what's there, but we have to be selective in getting the quota as to what it is that we need to have in corporate America or the narrative that has been built as far as what we need to have. I personally don't think that there is a certain percentage of each demographic that needs to be there, but we need to be cognizant of what we're bringing on to the table. And I, I say that as far as the different uh, demographics, because we live in a global world, it's not just where we are right now, um, what we see in our immediate world and that we interact with in our immediate world, but because we are so global, we are because we are global, we need to be able to understand, as you illustrated in the beginning, someone from India. We need to understand someone from the States. We need to be able to understand an Anglo. We need to be able to uh, understand African-American. So it's almost like a melting pot um, as to what we need to consider when we're bringing these people on to our staff to be a part of our teams. So that that's what that starts to sound like to me as you're saying being intentional about who it is that we're hiring. I don't know if that's what you were thinking or if that's where you were. I mean, this is your thing. I, <laughs> I just know how to stay in my lane. But as an HR director, it seems like that's where that may start to creep in to somebody that either has a problem with hiring um, yeah. someone that does not look like them, that you're trying to meet this quota in affirmative action um, so that you, you, you can say, mm, no, that's not true. I did not not have any African-Americans. I did not ha not have any women that were on, on, on my staff or on my team. I did that. See, here it is right here. Here's proof. I have such and such person that meets that criteria. So you can't charge me on not doing that, not being inclusive with that demographic. Well, yes. And let me say this, it's a very fine line. Okay. Uh, uh, and that, the principle of diversity, the principle of equity, 
the principle of inclusion is it's like water i guess you could say it's everywhere right it's 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 the the principles are there at the same time we have moved away how can i explain this we have moved away from you know, I need two black folk over here and I need three black folk over here and, you know, naming it in that way. So at the same time, we have to be able to honor the ethic, the principles, the, um, the realities of the fact that guess what? We are a diverse nation and our workplace needs to reflect the diversity that's in our nation. And so... Uh, mm, but that's... You know, ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, my, my brain is just going a million miles. So that's what we would like to do. But, but because of the narrative of how this country was built, and as you said in the beginning, as far as white men being the... Um, mm. if you were not white and had land that you did not fit into the clique you were not worthy of being a part of that group so when you have those people in the hiring positions or in management that make those decisions or have a big piece, a big part of how the decisions are made, how do you overcome that? I mean, it it, it just seems like it's a, a block that you can't, a, a wall that you can't get past because you have this narrative of what's supposed to be, what somebody thinks is what's supposed to be. And they want to they 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 shape their decisions based off of what they believe it should look like. Well, that's where the intentionality comes in, and that um, you know the persons in the organization that are charged with uh, DEI who are charged with um, uh, you know diversity, equity, inclusion. The persons who are charged with that, uh, whether they do that as a specialty or whether it is um, part of HR or whether it is its own thing, the persons that lead that are responsible for reminding the managers, for helping the managers, for <laughs> in effect calling them on the carpet uh, so that they need to be conscious of it. They need to be, see, here's the thing. It needs to be uh, a flow and something that flows throughout the entire organization. Every step, every aspect, so that people begin to learn to think in terms of DEI with everything. You mentioned the salaries. Uh, you know, my experience was that at one point we needed to actually put in a new compensation system 
because there was recognition that there was something amiss with the salaries and how people were paid. And so a new system uh, was put in place that made it, um, let me put it this way, easier to see the inequities. You know, they weren't hidden anymore. They were, <laughs> all you had to do was look at the numbers, right? Look at the names and look at the numbers. And you could see that some changes needed, uh, you know, some changes needed to be, be made. You know, this is huge. Um, you know, this is not a simple thing. This is not an easy thing to tackle. And yet it is a necessary thing to tackle. Uh, you know, it's a whole different mindset when we are intentional about DEI and when we just overlook it and do what we've always done, right? Somebody, ha somebody has to, uh, it's almost like an intervention. Somebody mm. has to be the voice. Somebody has to bring it to the table. Somebody has to ask the questions. Somebody has to uh, hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. It has to be intentional in every aspect of the business from, you know, the morning. And, and it's not just employees. Let me be clear about that. You know, we're not talking just about employees and the employment process and people who are on staff and all of that, but we're talking about clients, we're talking about consultants, we're talking about stakeholders, you know, in any shape, form, or fashion. Uh, there is a, a way, ethics is the best word I can think of it. There is an ethical way to treat one another. And we have to be intentional about that because not being diverse, not being equitable, not being inclusive is so much a part of the American uh, makeup. Uh, it's, it can be very frustrating uh, and it can look impossible and yet it is so necessary and it must be done uh, because we are a diverse na nation, always have been. And mm -hmm. we need to honor that and live up to that uh, and not put that on the back burner somewhere and say, oh, you know, we'll let the next generation take care of that. No. Each by then it's too by then it's too late because policies and things would have already been put in place to where the next generation has more obstacles to overcome to try and combat yeah. that. And I would like to believe that we want to make it easier for those to come after yeah. us. Um but <laughs> everybody has their own ideologies as to what things are supposed to look like and to be like. So let's pivot just a bit because that talks about, I mean, you, you've hit on the HR side, being the HR director. Those skills and techniques that you learn as an HR director 
I'm sure they were transferable or they transferred over into the religious sector and what it is that you have to see. And mm, so because of what you, how you started it off, or started off the conversation with this country being built on a white man's narrative. Yeah. Um, Christianity was a part of that. Yes, unfortunately. And Christianity was used as the supporting facts or the reason why, or the doctrine as to this is why this has to be in law. This is why we have to do what we need to do. So you you kind of get in the, if I can say the best of both worlds uh, from the corporate side, as well as being able to see it on the religious side. So how did you transfer those skills over to being able to um, communicate the message of diversity equity and inclusion in in a place that is so shaped by doctrine as to almost this is how we do it this is how we've been doing it and I don't want to change the way that we are doing it because this has worked for me for us for so long and now you're coming in to disrupt what it is that I know in my normality and what works for me well let me say this and that is that if we just think about uh, the world we live in, <laughs> I was just reading this the other day. We have had changes in the workplace, in the schools, uh, you know, in pretty much every area of our public life. We have had some kind of changes made. Unfortunately, the church is the least, is the place where the least amount of change has happened. Which I find to be quite ironic because you stand on the principles of yeah. what Jesus and what God teach. And as far as I understand, and I haven't seen anything to contradict it, um, Jesus was an inclusive. Oh, yes. Absolutely. He, he, was, he was very inclusive. So how can you stand on that's the doctrine that you teach, but yet you don't even want to participate. You don't want to execute what it is that he's teaching so to me that's a that's a heck of a contradiction yes, it is. <laughs> um to 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 what you believe and what you act out because i can't see if you say you believe xyz but yet your actions don't support what you believe now i got a question do you really believe and what it is that you say that you stand on well, I mean, you have, <laughs> how can I put it? You have hit the nail on the head. And that is, we have to understand that, um, like you say, Christianity was a big piece of this. The church 
was a big piece of mistreating. Uh, you know, we could have a whole nother conversation about uh, things like how they had the slave Bible and they left out so much of the Bible because they didn't want the enslaved uh, people to know the stories of freedom and so forth. So uh, at one point that was that was left out. Of course, that was basically England doing that, uh, Great Britain doing that, I guess we could say, uh, the English. But still, what I'm saying is that was the atmosphere. What was behind all of that? What was behind? Economics was behind all of that. That was the bottom line. The bottom line was they found that tobacco and cotton made a lot of money and they didn't want to do the work. And so unfortunately, a lot of times what people do, which is wrong, Instead of letting theology lead, they let culture lead and try to figure out some kind of way to make theology fit to culture. Mm. And <laughs> that's just, for one, that's the opposite of how it ought to be. And so my point is that, you know, what I have found is that as hard and as much work as it is in the corporate world dealing with all of this, because it is so much, I would say more deeply embedded, right? Because we see that on Sunday mornings, you know, Dr. King pointed that out. It is, it is even more deeply embedded. And, you know, that goes back uh, centuries. It's not just here in America when America got started, but the church had a role in that all the way back to when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. I mean, some of that goes all the way back to that. And so when we are uh, looking at a church setting, I would say the work is even um, even more critical, if I can put it that way, mm -hmm. is even more necessary uh, because as deeply embedded as it is in the workplace, it is even more embedded in the church. And Go yes. Go ahead. Okay, so it's even more embedded in the church. And it's just hard. I don't know how else to put it. It is just, it's a hard nut to crack. But fortunately, Jesus and his ethics is still there, is still making a stand, and still, for those who will listen and hear and pay attention, still showing that, that you know, what, what you're doing is wrong. It's just wrong all the way around. So we've talked about the organizations 
um, and their input <laughs> and their shaping and their culture related to DNI. What about you personally? Um, mm. In both of those institutions, where did you see demis- uh, uh, discriminations mm. for you personally that you experienced? Where did you see possibly discriminations of other people or things that were just, mm. and call it like it is, flat out wrong in how they were doing what they were doing in the practices um, that they were participating in, in the activities that they were participating in? How did that affect you in the respect of DE&I? as far as what they were trying to, they, they try to say, oh, we believe in that and we're all for that, da 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 But yet here again, another contradiction, what it is that you're doing is not supporting what you're saying and what you're believing because of X, Y, Z example. This is where it has stood out, where I have personally experienced it. And mm-hmm. I know that that is not what it is that you say you believe in. Well, let me let me say this. Um, personally, I experienced more racism and more sexism in the church than I ever experienced in my corporate days. Mm. And when it was happening, well, first of all, I was I was caught off guard because I really didn't expect it. I didn't expect. Was it because I, did, did did you not expect it because of the institution or because of the people? Oh, because of the institution, I did not. I I, I did not think. I, I I wasn't. Let me say it this way. It's not that I didn't think it didn't exist in the church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the level and the intensity of it was greater in the church than it was in the corporate world. And why would you say that it was it was more profound in the church? than in the corporate world. And then I'll let you give your example. (laughs) Well, um, I'm still answering, let me say this, I'm still answering that question, but let me say some things that I have come to the conclusion at this point. And one is that um, again, this has lasted so long. It is so much a part of the being and the thinking in church. So the mere 
fact that it has been part of church for so long, um, it, it is even more deeply embedded and more difficult to tackle. I think part of that is because, you know, in the workplace, everybody is responsible to somebody else. There's some kind of accountability all the way around. But that's not true in the church. The church largely works off of volunteers. Yes, of course, there's staff and they get paid. And there is um, organizational accountability. But other than that, volunteers pretty much do whatever they want to do. Mm. So how would how how do you how do you separate? Or draw the boundaries or whatever word you want to use there. How do you separate your faith and not mm. be and, and not be bitter and understand and understanding the word and the foundation and the doctrine that you believe in and separating that from what you're seeing and not be ooh and not be angry, not mm. be bitter, not um how, how do you how do you separate it? and we still haven't gotten to your your real life example uh as <laughs> as to some of the things that you have experienced but how how do you separate that and and walk in the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of love my brother as myself, but yet you got all of these daggers coming at you. I mean, at some point that has to wear on you as a person. Oh yeah. As, um, as an African-American woman. And then as a Christian here again, the contradiction to what it is that you are being taught, but you ain't seeing what it is you're not experiencing what it is that you're being taught, but yet you're the same people that are teaching me the same institution that's teaching me this. And it goes back to the word that I said earlier, contradiction. So I'm going to sit back and I'm going to listen. <laughs> well, you have asked and raised an excellent question. Uh, a couple of things, I guess, about my personal faith journey uh, before we talk about specifically, you know, DEI in the church. And that is that um, years ago, I am, I am a biblical scholar. I have a PhD in biblical interpretation mm -hmm. uh, and my expertise is in Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. And years before I even went into seminary, I, 
I questioned. I, I, I began, let me say this. I, be, I went back. I stayed out of church for 10 years. And then I went back. And when I went back to church, I developed an interest in the scriptures. As I began reading and studying on my own, I began to realize there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that the church just doesn't even touch, okay? And as I began to read for myself and study for myself, I, I was looking for specifics of social justice. I was looking for Jesus to say something about racism or Paul to say something about racism. And it just wasn't there. I began to understand for one, you know, scripture was actually written long before racism became an issue. Back in the times of scripture, it was the same dynamic, but it was based on ethnicity. It was not based on race. Race became a thing around the 1600s, along with enslavement, uh, the Industrial Revolution, all of those kinds of things. It came much later. And so I had to decide for myself, because I love the scripture. And I, you know, it was obvious that, you know, this is, some stuff is nowhere near right. And so one of the things that I did in my own personal journey is I separate my faith and my relationship with God. And I hold my faith dearly, but I also hold it loosely in that I know that there's always room to grow. I'm always growing. I'm always learning something different. Uh, as I say it, <laughs> when I teach scripture, there's always something to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And so... I separate my relationship with God from the church. I recognize the church as an institution that, you know, its main job, as I see it, is to keep the word moving from one generation to the next so that it, the word does not die. Jesus said, you know, the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. But I also acknowledge and recognize that the church is a long way from living up to its ideals, the same way that the nation is. And I began to realize that, remember, I stayed out for 10 years. <laughs> Hardly ever went to church. You could probably count on one hand how many times I went to church during that period. Mm, church hurts, but that's another talk <laughs> show another day. 
Yes, yes, yes. That's another story. But anyway, I began to realize that um, I needed church in my life. I needed, there was, there's something, there's a place, there's a, a hole, there's, with all of its flaws, with all of its faults and failures, what the church represents has an important place in my life. And so I realized that I needed, wanted to be part of a church community. But I also have learned to appreciate, I call it cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. That's when, you know, it, it's supposed to be this way, but this is actually how it is. And uh, I just love cognitive dissonance. Okay, I get excited about cognitive dissonance. In the scriptures, the scriptures are full of cognitive dissonance. It's everywhere. But of course, the church tries to ignore the cognitive dissonance and make everything nice and pretty, tied up in a nice little bow, and don't open it, you know, don't let stuff out, you know, no Pandora's box, you know, just keep it nice and pretty. Like a cafeteria, you pick and choose what it is that you want off of the menu and you leave the rest that you don't want to eat, you don't want to deal with for somebody else to take care of or somebody else yeah. to enjoy but that ain't what you feel and that's not what you like you want you want your greens and potatoes you don't want your black eyed peas and and oakum <laughs> you are so right you are absolutely right so it was my ability to uh separate faith in the church uh to separate um scripture um, and misinterpretation, let me put it that way, interpretation and misinterpretation of scripture. And so it is by making those separations that I am able to be part of church, even though I am a, crit a cr critic, even though I critique the church. And that brings me to the book of Job, which is my favorite book, the book that I wrote my dissertation on. And when I was trying to figure these things out, this was way back in the day, this is back in the 70s. And I began to realize uh, I was a musician and at the church and the pastor did a series on the book of Job. And all my life, I heard the patience of Job, the patience of Job, the patience of Job, the patience of Job. And then when he preached, I began to realize that there's more to that story than that. And there's a lot of impatience of Job. In fact, there's more <laughs> impatience than there is patience. But they didn't talk about that, right? And what that book enabled me to do was to be a person of faith and still have questions. 
Mm. So, you know, in terms of the book and the story of Job, Job was a person of faith. He never lost a hold of his faith and his relationship with God. But he had a whole bunch of stuff to say. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of stuff to say. Which and, I think is why, <laughs> um, oh, wow, an hour has already passed. My, how time flies. Um, so we'll just have to pick this up again later. Um, but it 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 brings, oh, I forgot that thought just that, just that quick. I don't know where that thought went. It was gone. Well, let me, let me finish saying what I was about to say. Maybe it'll help it come back. And what I was about to say is, it allowed me to be a person of faith and still have questions. Allowed me to be a person of faith and not, um, you know, to be able to hold the cognitive dissonance in the scripture, the dissonance between what ought to be and what is in church. It enabled me to come to terms with those cognitive dissonances and let them be what they are. Let them be cognitive dissonances. Let them be questions that have no answers. Let them be the contradictions, the unknowns, all of that that they are. And broaden my faith to be able to accommodate that. Mm. As opposed to trying to do away with all of that. Mm. Instead of brushing it up under the rug. So what yeah. I was going um, to say is that's in the African-American church, why we call out injustices. Yeah. Why we call out the wrongs, and the, the societal wrongs, and why we... Um, if I can say freely do it um, and, and do it in a way that makes it very plain and very clear to anybody that may not have walked through it and experienced it the way that we do. We're able to closely tie the injustices within the word to the re injustices as to what it is that we see in current society issues and those things that come up. Um, wow. So many more things that I want to dive into and that I want to ask, but I want to be mindful of your time, of my viewers' times, but also give them something to come back and revisit with us on these on this subject of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So before I head out, one, I want to talk uh, hit on a couple of things that you talked about that hit home for me because I said I would do that in the beginning. That's why I got my pen and I've been writing, excuse me, and I've been writing things down. Um, words that stood out to me, domination, narrative, intention, and intervention. Um, because of the domination of certain narratives that are in our workplace, in our lives, we have to be intentional on how we interact, how we respond, um, so that hopefully we won't need a true intervention <laughs> to, to, to make some changes 
um, within the organization or within the industry. Um, and that in intervention can, um, it, it, it can be a good thing. It can be a healthy thing. That word is not a bad word. It just simply means coming in to have somebody else, at least my interpretation of it, is coming in to have somebody else that's not directly connected with it to where their feelings aren't in it and they can see things in a more, stri uh, uh, in a more strategic way, in a more logical way, and in a more critical way. Um, so anywho, that is what I have taken away from our conversation in this hour please tell the people please 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 tell the people how they can connect with you on your social media uh platforms uh web address telephone whatever however you want people to reach out to you in case they need you for your services or if they want to continue this conversation um with either coaching or, or whatever it is that you want to do you just tell the people how to reach you and and and, and we'll go from there all right, then let's do that. Uh, if you are on Facebook, you can find me as R-E-V-D-R-A-L-F, as in Frank, I-E-W-I-N-E-S. In other words, Dr. Alfie Wines. Uh, on Facebook again, D-R-A-L-F-I-E-W-I-N-E-S on Facebook. If you are looking for my website, you can go to D-R-A-L-F-I-E-W-I-N-E-S.com. In other words, DrAlfieWines.com. If you want to send me an email, you can send it to DrAlfie at DrAlfie.com, AlfieWines.com. So that would be D-R-A-L-F-I-E at D-R-A-L-F-I-E-W-I-N-E-S dot com. Those are the best ways to find out about me and to get in touch with me. Let me give you a phone number, which is 682-622-1004. 682-622-1004. So again, by phone, 682 622 1004 uh, by uh, my uh, website D-R-A-L-F-I-E-W-I-N-E-S.com. And then by email Super fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time today and depositing into the DE&I conversation and helping us to ease on down the road of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I am so certain that somebody is going to get something out of this as far as our conversation on today that will help them shift the way they think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, about the way that they operate in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how they are challenged because of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So you guys, until then, you just keep easing on down the road of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we will catch you on the next Oz Experience.